hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Your Mortgage Process. I, of course, am your host, Greg Wareham, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, have you ever thought about commercial real estate? I mean, we talk about residential real estate all the time, but we haven't had any real conversations about commercial real estate. And if you're not familiar with it, it's kind of a big mystery, right? You know that it's out there, but you don't know how to, how to buy it, how to sell it, how to look for it, how it works. You know, terms like triple net and, and different things, you just completely, uh, people could be completely ignorant to it because you're not familiar with it, you know, myself included. So to kind of solve that dilemma today, we brought on an expert in commercial real estate, Mr. Joe Spinella. Joe, thanks for joining us. What's going on, everybody? How we doing? Thank you for having me. Ah, pleasure having you, Joe. Thanks for taking the time today. Absolutely. So, Joe, tell us a little bit about yourself. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, my name is Joe Spinella. I am director of commercial with KW in the Mammoth Ocean location. I also am a co-owner of Ace Acquisitions. It's a real estate investment acquisitions firm. Uh, we do business. We started in New Jersey. And now we're doing business nationwide. Um, and we also have a. Um, a subsection that we started in Texas. Uh, that's great, so, Joe. Yeah. So now the acquisition company, Ace Acquisitions, what does that do? So what that does is, so, you know, we took, my partner and I, we took a step back and we said, okay, you know, our goal is to invest in commercial real estate, anything investment wise, multifamily, anything that's generating income um, really is a whole scope as to what we, we focus on. Um, and from there we end up going and, you know, we're contacting owners directly seeing if they're interested in selling their property. And, you know, if it's a great deal, it's something that we, we're going to purchase ourselves. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. How's it going so far? It's going amazing. We actually have uh, 118 units under contract that we're purchasing. <laughs> Good for you, Joe. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, about 40% under market value. Wow. Wow. Congratulations, Joe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's really great. So to me, when I first got into real estate to begin with, the goal was, all right, I want to invest in real estate. I don't want to be a transactional broker. You know, if I don't show up to work tomorrow, I'm not going to be receiving any money. That's the whole thing about being a broker, being an agent that I didn't want anything to do with, right? I wanted something that's going to be long lasting, passive, and, you know, something that's going to add more value than just a transactional piece. Sure. So, you know, if I'm going to go and invest in real estate, which I originally started when I got my license, yeah. What, how, how am I going to find these deals? Am I going to just wait for people to send them to me? Am I just going to hope someone sends me a good deal? Right. What, what kind of value can I provide for them to send me a good deal? And when you're on the other side of it, being the person that's sending the deals, it's a real eye opener that I have a list of a thousand people that want deals. Mm -hmm. They call me every day. Hey, send me a deal. Send right. me a seven cap, an eight cap, a nine cap. Send me, send me something. Well, why would I send them a, a, a unicorn deal if I can just do it myself. Yeah. That's or, really amazing. Or, or send them like what kind of value does someone have to offer for me to send them the, you know, the blue plate special deals. Sure. Uh, that's really incredible. I remember when you came into the industry uh, originally, I mean, what you've been able to accomplish really, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. So I have a question for you along that. So the company acquires 118 units from a qualification standpoint, how does that work? Because it's not like a residential mortgage. Yeah. So now with everything being, you know, crazy with the interest rates and, you know, a lot of the banks, they're making you put not just 20, 25% down They're They're looking for more. And especially if a property isn't, you know, generating the income that it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, you know, say if it's, you know, um, you know. 20% vacant or, you know, not up to market rents or whatever it's supposed to be, they're not going to give you a loan based on, you know, what the current 
going in numbers are. Sure. So a lot of what we've been utilizing is a lot of uh, owner financing. Okay. And the thing is, the the added benefit for both parties is that if an owner goes and sells a property, say for $5 million, they have to go and either pay tax on that right at the sale, right. or they have to 1031 that into something else. And finding a good deal where they're making the same, if not more, on that money is finds a challenge. Yeah, you see, and that's a great point for everyone that's listening out there, is because if you have that seller financing, well, I don't have to worry about the capital gains, the 1031, they can just be collecting their money from you on a monthly basis the wherever bank. that buyer is. Absolutely. Yeah. But you got to know how to speak that language. You have to know. And it's, I've, yes, I've only been in real estate for four years, but it could, you know, I'm working 80 to 100 hours a week where, you know, if you, if you break that down to actual terms, maybe I've been in for eight years or right. so. So, right. That's, that's great. Now, when you look at bank financing that, that you would get. Now, the banks don't qualify in commercial lending like they do residential. So residential, you're going you're gonna to pull the credit, you're going to get income, assets, and that's really what you're qualifying on. It's different in the commercial space. It is different, yes. And it's, um, they, they first off look at the property mm-hmm. and they see what the income is, right? So if it's generating income because that income is really what's going to be paying the loan. It's not going to be you, right? So say if you're looking to purchase a home that you're going to live in, the income to pay the mortgage is the income that you're producing Sure. personally. If you're buying an income producing property, that income is what's essentially going to be paying the mortgage. Mm-hmm. You're not paying it out of your pocket. You're paying it from the property if it's a good a good property to invest in. Um, so they look at that. So that's why if it's undervalued or vacant, that's going to be an issue because that's going to, you know, mess around with the numbers. Sure. Um, but then, you know, once that's done, so say if you're going doing something that's a value add, where you need capital to increase the value of the property, then they're going to go look at your track record. What have you done? Are you qualified to be able to accomplish this property and do this project the right way? Mm -hmm. And yeah, and it goes from there. That's it. That's interesting. So when you look at the revenue that's coming in from a property, let's just operate in the presumption it's, it's rented and it's not vacant. So you got revenue coming in. Does the bank look at that revenue number and take a percentage of it to figure out, what you'd be able to afford from a payment standpoint on the loan? So specifically, right, so say, let's just use easy numbers, right, on a million-dollar property, um, you know, let's just say it's supposed to be 25% down, so 250 grand on a yep. million-dollar property. Um, you know, is that property going to appraise at a million, right? So you have, to, you have to look at it as a bank's perspective, right? If they default on their loan, what are we left with? Right. Is that going to be a win, a wash, or a loss for us? So they'll accept it as long as it's not going to be a loss, right? essentially. Okay, so they'll look at something that even potentially breaks even as long as the overall investment and their perception of it is good and the appraisal is good and everything like that. Yeah, as long as the numbers make sense, they can they can probably get it done. Now, I'm no you know loan mortgage broker or sure. commercial uh, finance guru, but yes, that's uh, essentially how it works. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great alternative for people looking to get into an investment market right now. Because yeah. from the residential standpoint, as you see interest rates rising and you're looking at the inventory being really low, you know, trying to get investment properties today have become a little bit more challenging than they have been in years past. Now, how do you see the market in the commercial space right now? So there, it's interesting because there's, uh, you know, there's different ways, waves there's different waves that you go into and, and you see, right? So when COVID hit, the biggest wave, there was an increase in demand in warehouse. Okay. 
tremendous increase in demand, about 100, 200% as far as price per square foots that have increased and, you know, overall rental um, agreements um, and values of property, right? So there was a property that I uh, found just using as an example. I'm a visual guy. I like to, you know, associate things with actuals. Mm-hmm. Um, a gentleman bought a problem. Um, bought a warehouse for 7.5 million and he turned down an offer from us for 22.5 million. Wow. Yeah. In about 13 years. Wow. That's pretty good appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and he had a 20 year lease in there with the tenant that was, you know, making, you know, close to 6% on their money. So I get a question for you on the warehouses. Does it matter what the warehouse is being used for? Like you have to disclose that to the bank. If you're doing financing, what are you housing in there? In that sense, he had a blanket mortgage on okay. on a few different properties. So he actually, I think he had a three percent interest rate, yeah, which is kind of ridiculous. But when you have such appreciation in that value, you know, you essentially you just start borrowing against the property at you know ridiculous rates. Yeah, and then you know, obviously that's tax free. And you know, once you get into that ballpark of income and you know income streams, that's when you know you're really perfecting and beating the game. Yeah, no question. Hey, so you had mentioned, uh, I just want to define something to the listeners out there. You had mentioned really quickly 7% cap, 8% cap. What did you mean by that? Okay, so your cap rate is going to be your gross total, whatever that is, whether it's going to be your gross total income from, if it's a multifamily, it's all your tenants' rent. If it's going to be a warehouse, it's going to be your tenant that's paying lease, whether it be one tenant or multiple tenants. It's an office space. It's all your office space tenants paying the lease, right? So it's their gener- their total income yep. over a 12-month span. That's going to be your gross total. Now you add in your expenses, whatever the owner, the landlord is paying for, you're going to add all those expenses up, which are, you know, water and sewer, um, insurance, tax, um, any type of maintenance, anything that they have to pay for expenses for the year goes into that. Okay. So your expenses are going to range from about say 25% to as high as 40 on, on certain properties. Um, and then you subtract that number from your gross total and that gives you your NOI, which is your net operating income. Okay. All right. So you're looking at what's that total income to include the expenses that the tenant is paying. Yes. And then you're just deducting out what your hard expenses are, your hard costs on it per month. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's going to be your, so your tenants are usually, say if it's a multifamily specifically, your tenants usually just pay for um, your electric, the water, um, the electric, if the water and sewer usually is not separately metered, you can use a rub system to be able to implement that. Mm-hmm. Um, What's that, Joe? A rub system is a, you know, for example, you have one unit, I have one unit. You're going in the water bill is getting separated per those units. Right. So instead of the landlord paying, it's just another way to increase uh, your NOI. Got it. You just have separate meters put in there for water. Yeah, it just, it comes in, it just breaks it up. Got right? it. So say if it's... Uh, you know, $1,000 and there's 10 units, it splits it up 100 each. Yeah, It's just a, a, literally a way to go. So I can go into a part of my business models, I'll go into a, a property, I'll underwrite the deal completely, break down what the expenses are and say, wow, okay, we're at a 38% expense ratio. It's not really a deal at this point, but if we bring those expenses down to 30%, mm. it becomes a good deal. Mm. So how can we d- go around and figure that out to make it work? Man, there's such a science to it. And not missing the, the little pieces. You know, something as simple as water, right? You don't know how much that's going to be. And you don't want that as a pass through to, the, to you as the owner. Yeah. So, so main, like I said, mainly the tenants are responsible for you know, their specific expenses, but that doesn't get any, that's not included in the total um, income, 
right? So now we, we subtract the expenses from the gross total, whatever that number is different, right? Yeah. So say it's 100,000 is the gross total. We pull out 30,000 for expenses, 70,000 is our NOI. Mm-hmm. Now that's 70,000. Um, say we're looking to sell the property at uh, 700 grand. Yeah. At that point, that's, it's a 10 cap, which is, you know, Got it. You know, unheard of for, for most deals. That's yeah, a very pre- good deal. What's, what is it like an average for a cap rate that you're looking for? So now um, I would say about, you know, what now you're looking at is a five, six is what, what it's at. But yep. really for it to make sense with the interest rates being higher, it really needs to be closer to a six, seven, eight mm-hmm. um, for the numbers to line up and, you know, be the same returns as what it used to be. Um, you know, a seven cap is great. If anyone sees a seven cap, they're jumping all over it. But mm-hmm. unfortunately now the owners that are selling their properties, they, the value that they're looking to sell it for is significantly higher than even what it's worth. Now, and just again, for, to clarify with everyone, you look at that cap rate, let's use a seven cap as an example. So if that unit's making 70,000 per year, then it's probably worth 700,000. Um, no, that's a, ten, oh, that's a 10, that's a cap. 10 cap. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, a seven cap on 70 grand is a million. Got it. So real, so right now that property, if, if, in, if I was underwriting that deal right now, I would say about a million two is, is where they're, you know, what they're going to be shooting for a million two five, something like that. Mm. All right. It's pretty good. Yeah. It is a science. So how did you learn the industry so well? So honestly, I taught myself everything. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking for mentors. I reached out to a bunch of people that were very successful in the business and, yeah. um, just didn't it just didn't work um you know they didn't have the same type of goals or aspirations or real work ethic what i was looking to put into it and it just didn't line up with what my uh, my visions and values were mm-hmm. and you know i have uh you know big goals and big aspirations so you know if you're going to sell something might as well try to sell the most expensive thing you get your hands on <laughs> right yeah it's great great point so what do you attribute your discipline to um, I'm so. laying this one in for you, Joe. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I started competing in bodybuilding uh, about 10 years ago. And yeah. that's, that's definitely a big part of it. It's a, uh, you know, if you, if everyone out there hasn't seen Joe, I mean, when you, if you go online, you can see him because he's a competitive bodybuilder and we all know the amount of discipline that goes into that. I attribute a lot of my success and discipline and consistency to that. Right. right. So you have to make sure you're getting up every morning, hitting your cardio, getting your meals in. Um, really staying disciplined to yourself and holding yourself 100% accountable. Right. I'm very big on accountability, and I think a lot of people um, lack that. And I think that, you know, when you start taking accountability for all your actions and everything that you're doing in your life, um, you know, you start to really say, wow, okay, I, I can make a change today. So, and you come from a long line of bodybuilders, right? Your mom was a bodybuilder? Yeah, yeah my mom competed, um, and also my dad did as well. Wow. So that was okay. their, uh, their thing growing up in Brooklyn, yeah. All right. So listen, guys, So if, if you want to be successful in commercial real estate, <laughs> you got to get up in the morning, you got to do squats, you got to get cardio and, you know, you could do, a, you could do a great job. And I'm sure Joe would be happy to help anyone if they need help exactly. trying to understand it in more detail. Yeah. You give a really great presentation. I was in a meeting with you once in a presentation that you did for commercial real estate. Uh, it's really great. Do you give seminars? I do. Yeah, I do speaking. Um, I think it's very important. I'm, I'm a big advocate is getting, getting the word out there that, you know, your control of your life, right. right? There's, you know, set the bar as high as possible and, you know, find out what your passion is and go after it, tackle that and, you know, tackle it at full speed. And, you know, I'm a big believer in some quote that I live by is, um, you can never fail if you never quit. Yeah, that's true. Those are words to live by, right? And there's so many different examples about that. You can't fail if you don't quit. No, no, you give it your all and, you know, you shoot for the stars and you keep going. And again, it's, 
you're going to have to take a step back and, you know, recalibrate and understand what's working, what doesn't work. But again, if you keep accountability for, for your life and you're giving it really your best effort, you know, you will have success or find yourself, you know, find out some things about yourself that, you know, maybe you didn't know prior to. You know, we were chatting a little bit before this. Uh, we're talking about social media and we're talking about, you know, kind of a me generational type of thing. And you get a lot of people diff posting different uh, social media pieces, really, and some of it's intention uh, for attention, some of it's for education. But I think at times where people get a little bit lost is you really understand yourself. Yeah. Right. And you understand yourself well enough to be able to leverage your goals and put together a disciplined plan for you to try to achieve them. Yeah. And it all down. starts with yourself, right? You yeah. really understand yourself. Nick, yeah. do you understand yourself? It's actually uh, really funny because the same things apply to everything, including social media, marketing, advertising. It's people that are laying out tools and what you choose. Like maybe someone does want to go play a video game for a little bit, but what's the discipline behind that? Hey, I can give myself, you know, this 20 minutes to you know, have fun and do this thing because I'm taking a break from something. But then when I go back to it, am I utilizing anything else? Like, like Nick, on a personal level, my social, my social media stuff is pretty low. Yeah, it's I terrible. I said I don't, it. I don't, I, don't do that. <laughs> I don't do that much personally. However, um, you know, I'm, I'm working with more than a dozen small businesses and managing their stuff right. daily. So it's more like, you know, hey, wh where is that? You know, am I getting lost in reels and TikToks? And next thing you know, you're you're sitting on the couch for an hour and it's just gone wasted. And so same thing, I, you know, I'm bringing back to what he said. And, you know, you, you have to have those tools and have to align with what you want and your needs and, you know, your yeah. aspirations. Exactly. You know, and you have to take the time too. you know, I was having a conversation last night about seven o'clock with a very good friend of mine. You, you, you know, him, Joe. And we're talking about, you know, the intensity of the market. Right. So when you look at the mortgage space right now in real estate, like it's really intense right now. You know, there's a lot of changes in the marketplace. Interest rates are going up, you know, where supply demand hasn't uh, hit an equilibrium yet. And as we all know, the Federal Reserve is trying to make that happen. And you can almost get too laser focused into it. You got to make sure you're taking the time to do something else. Right. You got to have balance with what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, for you, and, and we both share, you know, working out as something to release some, some stress. I mean, you, of course, are taking it to another level, but you need that and you need something else, right? You need things that aren't so isolating <laughs> as yeah. well, right? That's funny. Yeah. I mean, I'm also big, uh, a big part of, you know, I've made a big change in, in my lifestyle and my business in the last year. And yeah. the biggest thing was, uh, uh, scheduling and writing out um, to-do list with top priorities. Yeah. So I have a, a list that I go through every single day. It has um, a top priorities, one th um, big with gratitude as well. So one thing I'm grateful for, um, top five, uh, top four priority list, and uh, what else has to be accomplished for th for the day. And you do get your top priority. I'm let me rephrase that. So your top four priorities is things that have to get done each day. Mm -hmm. And if you do those top four things, you'll be able to slowly um trend in the direction that you want right? so give so give everybody an example you got a top four list and you had mentioned gratitude in there as well what is give me an example of some things that might be in the top four for a given day so um you know main follow-up for the day um follow up for the day any specific deals that i'm working on that has to get done anything that needs to get done for the deal to go through uh, to deal to go forward, move forward, whether it be having a call with an attorney, whether it be getting a contract reviewed, whether that be uh, speaking with a client, what, whatever that is, 
that has to get done for the day, that goes in my top priority list to make sure that doesn't fall through the cracks. Now listen, sometimes it's hard conversations. Sometimes it's not something that's exciting, fun, but you have to do what you have to do. Right. And, um, you know, I'm very big with scheduling. I'm very tight with my schedule. You know, every day I'm at the office at 830. I'm at the office from 830 till about 5, 530. Go to the gym for two hours. Come back to the office from till about from like 8 to 1130 every single day. That's a, that's How a do fact. you eliminate distractions into that schedule? Um, when you're, you know, focused on your, your goal and what you want. To me, that's, that's, that's my main motivation and that's... You know, nothing really can distract me from that. So, what's your goal? My goal is to have tremendous success in my business and uh, you know compete nationally, which that's uh, that's it next year. So, all right, what weight class are you in? Uh, so I was a lightweight. Now okay. I'm moving up to middleweight. Uh oh, we're putting on muscle mass. On Let's go, muscle, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing I put protein shake in your drink exactly. today. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I can't. I can't wait to sip on this. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with you in a couple minutes again. Greg Wareham, Joe Spinella. We'll be right back at you. I'd like to thank today's sponsor, Navasink Fishery in Navasink, New Jersey. They offer some of the finest seafood and greens in our area. High sushi grade for all of their fish and seafood products. They recently added a produce section, so it's a one-stop shopping now. You can go in there, you get your produce, you get your fish, you can take it home, you could cook it yourself, or your other option is you could dine right on premises. They offer one of the best seafood dinners uh, in our area. It's BYOB, just in case you want to enjoy a couple spirits while enjoying your fine dinner at Navasink Fishery. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Greg Wareham, Joe Spinella here. So just to go a little bit deeper on self-development and production, you know, again, I know that you're really big on, on those things. Your whole lifestyle revolves around that, Joe. Give us a little more detail as to your thoughts on those areas. Absolutely, yeah. So I think it's very important and, you know, going along with the uh, to-do list that I do every day, um, you know, I think it's very important to, to figure out the, the main couple topics um, of what's income generating, right? What's important to you that you have to get those things done every day that will help you accomplish what you're looking to do. Mm -hmm. So I speak with a lot of realtors and my whole team, actually, I do one-on-one -on -one calls every morning with them. Um, specifically, each person gets a different day and we have a 15 minute call and just go over, Hey, you know, what have you been doing? What do you think you can do better? And then I'll give you my, you know, completely unbiased approach onto how I think, you know, constructive criticism, what you can be doing better. Right. And, um, you know, it's a super, super helpful tool and trick that I use. And it's, it's been very successful recently. Um, you know, the way you word things in the conversation you're having. Yeah. Right. So if an, if an, a real estate agent comes to me, Hey, you know, I'm down in business, whatever, maybe. Okay. So write out what you're doing for the day and break that down. And when, when people break down what their day actually is, they're very, uh, it's a, it's a hard conversation to have, right? People it's, don't do anything. People and that's not a bad thing. You know, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And if, if you don't, you know, when we were uh, watching, listening to Adele talk, right, she's mentioned that, yeah. you know, if you, if you name, if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. It's true. And I think that's the, the truest statement. That's why I'm so hard on, on, um, you know, checklist and to-do list is because you need to have a plan. You know, if you don't have a plan, if you, you get in the car and you have no idea where you're going, you don't put it in the navigation. How are you going to get there? You, you might get there. Yeah. It's going to take you a little bit longer. It's not going to be a direct route as if you have a plan. Um, and I'm, I'm very big on that. And, you know, again, another conversation I've had with my team that's been super, uh, super helpful is, you know, plan your perfect day. Sit down and plan your perfect day. And what does that perfect day consist of? And it, I didn't realize it being such a... Um, open, interesting conversation until mm -hmm. after I did it, right? Because my perfect day is, you know, something that I really 
live out every day. Um, just for me being mindful, right? I cut out all distractions and that's what I'm shooting for every day. Right. Um, but a lot of people, they have distractions and they have things that really don't allow them to have that perfect day, mm -hmm. right? You know, what is your perfect day waking up as, you know, having breakfast? What, what is that? And if you write it down and then the next, say you write it down the next week, shoot for having that perfect day. You end up doing that. I guarantee you when you put your head on the pillow at night, you're going to be happy. Yeah, you know, we've all had that feeling. I, I think that's a great way to frame it, Joe. What's that perfect day look like? Because that sense of satisfaction when you put your head on the pillow, everyone's had it before. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, that was just, I did all this stuff, and you sleep like a champ. You wake up the next morning. And you're just going to want to tackle it and do the same thing over again. Want to do it again. Yeah, that's, yeah. Great, that's great advice. These are things that I realized for myself that, wow, okay, so if I, you know, do X, Y, and Z daily, I will be you know, happy and I will trend towards, you know, what my goal is and what yeah. I'm trying to achieve. You know, it really feeds into is your day controlling you or are you controlling your day? You know, my earlier comment about people don't do anything, I didn't mean that necessarily as a negative. It's just you you don't know, right? Because the day is going to start and it's going to finish. The question at the end of it all, to your point, Joe, was it your perfect day? Do you even know what your perfect day is? Did you have a plan going into it? What's the to-do list? What are all these things that you're trying to accomplish? You know, human beings by nature want to have a sense of satisfaction, yep. right? You want to feel good about yourself. You want others to feel good about you as well, right? Yep. And you can only get there if you think about it yeah, and, you and need then to, implement it. Exactly. And you need to know what it is. You uh -huh. know, it's funny. I was on the phone with my coach yesterday and I told you guys earlier a story. I was talking to a good friend of mine about, hey, we got to do some other things. And my coach always reminds me of, you're going to do your best work when you're in a creative space, Right. Do you understand, again, you know, what do you, what's your perfect day look like? In my world, it's being creative. I can be creative every day. I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to say, this was fantastic. Now we can drill down on that in a little bit more detail. Yeah. But the bigger picture is to just get you out of the monotonous space. Yeah. Right? Because we all fall into it. Yeah. It's how much mental discipline do we have to, pull, to recognize it mm -hmm. and pull yourself out of it. Yeah. Mental discipline is huge. And that yeah. is also taking accountability. Right. For you to be able to take accountability and not blame something on somebody else on, or on something else. It's it's being able to step up. OK, I could have done this differently. All right. You know, every act when you take a step back, like I said, and just look at the picture and say, OK, well, if I would have done this differently, this action would have been differently. You know, and when, and when you really look at it and say, all right, you know. All right. Going forward, I'm going to be doing this better. I'm going to put a, you know more time, more effort or look at this, you know, in a different light. Yeah. And you got to, you really got to have, that's a disciplined thing as well. I, I do that. I know you do that where you really are reflecting, but I'll reflect even down to the detail of a conversation that I had with someone to say, I didn't like that. I didn't like the way my, I inflicted my voice on that, or I didn't like exactly the words that I used to grow. You know, John Maxwell is actually a really big person on that. I've heard him speak on multiple occasions where if you're not reviewing what you did, well, how do you know what you're going to do? Right. You got to have a good handle as to yeah. what you're doing and be very self-aware. Absolutely. Look at into the, in sports, right? Any, any NFL, MLB, you know, NBA player, yeah, they're going point. ahead and they're, they're watching film. They're watching film on their, on their plays mm -hmm. and they're watching film on, on the plays going forward. So you can't have uh, you know, that's top, top tier, high level athletes, no matter what avenue. So if you're nervous to either record yourself doing cold calling or, script practice or teaching or whatever it is. I'm a big believer in teaching is the best way to learn. You know what? I'm going to sum that up. As, do you watch film on yourself?
And most people don't. And it's not an easy thing to do it's because you're though. watching yeah. yourself mess yeah. up. And yeah. that's also leaving the ego at the door because yeah. you have to be vulnerable. Everyone has to be vulnerable. And again, it's just an accountability thing. Like, all right, am I going to be the best version of myself to be able to have success and be able to, you know, uplift people and, and to be able to do business and help people? Yeah. And then accept what it is that you do. Like, I have a very whiny voice. <laughs> <laughs> but it is what it is. You keep rolling. And that's it, right? And you focus on what you can control. Exactly. Yes. So... You know, Joe, one thing I did want to say to you, and I've known you for several years, man, you are really a nice guy. You have a very nice way about you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Very calm, paced. And that's actually a little bit different from, you know, five years ago. Yeah. You're always a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) But you're more excitable, just very calm, paced, very focused. It's really noticeable. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's so true. And, you know, do you attribute that to a lot of self-development? I do. I do. I think, um, you know, when you're focused on what your goal is and your one thing, um, you know, you could pretty much tie into that. And, you know, really nothing else really matters too much other than really focusing on on what that is to achieve that. Right. So I I look at it as something's either helping you or hurting you. There's no in between. Right. No matter what you want to say, there's no in between. Um, and you have to take accountability for that, whether it be being friends with somebody that's either hurting you or helping you, whether that be doing an activity that's either hurting or helping you, whether it be a friend or family, uh, a job, a hobby, it's either hurting you or helping you, Yeah. period. That's There's no other in between. Um, you know, if your your goal is to get up early in the morning and, you know, work out, get to work early, do your chores, run your errands, whatever that is. Okay, well, in return, that means you have to go to bed early the night before. Right. And I'm very big on, you know, communicating your goals to, you know, your close sphere of people around you. And, you know, if they're, it's very simple. You could take a step back and see, all right, is this person helping me achieve what I want? Be very vocal about your goals, what you want. Is that person helping me or are they hurting me? If Mm. they're hurting you, have the conversation with them. All right, this is not helping me. I'm just letting you know going forward okay if it continues to happen then maybe you have to start backing away from that type of person whatever it is yeah again kind of comes back to to, the discipline right that's easy you know you say it and everyone's gonna hear it like yeah exactly it's either helping or hurting me but to then implement the mental discipline and be willing to have uncomfortable conversations for the purposes of growth not a bad thing yeah you know that's something that that's paradigm shift absolutely and a lot of people have a very hard time with uncomfortable conversations right um, a lot of people have a very hard time with getting out of their comfort zone and have a large hard time about confrontation people they don't do. like confrontation they don't they don't and if you can go and have these conversations and word it the right way um, you'll you'll either build a stronger relationship with the person and if you know if they actually can see that and they're you know, understanding, you'll have a strong relationship with the person at the end of the day. You know, it's interesting because that just that term confrontation, it has a very negative connotation to it. I don't know, maybe it's because the definition, you know, the Webster's Dictionary is just that it's a, it's a negative thing, but it's not. It's not. You know, confrontation is a specific conversation you're you're having to try to align visions with people, right? To work out differences. It's actually a very proactive thing. Absolutely. And I you have to leave your ego at the door. Yeah, totally. That's a big thing. For me, I'm always learning based. There's something that I was on the phone with my brother last night, and I was telling him, if someone's, he's a, he's a freshman playing football at uh, FDU, and you know, going into it, I said, you, you could be learning from everybody, whether it's you know, the, the least skilled person on the team or the most skilled person on the team. Yeah. And that's something that you, know, you got to leave your ego at the door. You can't think that you're better than anybody. You have to go in there willing to learn, willing to you, know, you respect everybody on every level. 
and, you know, going in with an open mind. And a lot of people, you know, they're, they're so set on having, you know, their strong opinions or whatever it is, and they kind of forget to listen to, to other people. And, you know, you have to have an open mind and, you know, there's, there's always three sides to the story. There's one side, the other side and the truth. Yeah. So, you know, you have to, you have to be willing to. It, it's the only way to grow, man. Exactly. I, I mean, it really is, you know, it's funny cause you're, I look at things like, well, you're either growing or you're dying. There's no in between. Right. I've learned what you're saying. I look at it very specifically that way. Well, am I moving forward or am I not? And if I think I start to know everything, <laughs> well, now I'm, I'm dying. Yeah. And, and uh, I actually was, was talking to a buddy at the gym the other day and, you know, it was the conversation of and it, working out in business is so similar. It's 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 ridiculous to me. Yeah. Right. So if you go in and, you know, you get into the gym and, you know, say you're, uh, you know, you're doing dumbbell presses of 50 pounds. Right. And week one, you're doing 50 pounds. Week two, you're doing 50 pounds. You know, by week three, you know, it's supposed to get easier. Right. Right. It's supposed to, you're supposed to get stronger. It's supposed to get easier. If you're just going to keep doing 50 pounds for the next six months, are you really growing? Right. Are, you know, you have to push yourself, you know, after maybe week two, you're going to do 55 pounds. Yeah. Do that or for more reps, bit. whatever, whatever that, it yeah, is. You want to grow it, right? and you want to push in, in, a, in a direction that you're, you know, pushing yourself to get better in some some fashion, right? So if it's prospecting for for business, trying to get new business, maybe you make five calls, then it goes to ten, then to fifteen. You always want to try to be doing better than than yesterday. Um, and again, that's going to take more discipline. That's going to take more, you know, consistency. You know, I, I believe consistency over time equals results. Yeah, that's great, Joe. Great vision on that. And talk to us a little bit about KW Commercial. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I was grateful enough to get the opportunity to be the, uh, managing director there. Mm -hmm. Um, which I, uh, and that was where I started when I started my career with residential. So, um, definitely love the company. It's amazing. Um, amazing opportunity. And yeah, so we handle everything. I have a team of, uh, four people now, which is awesome. Shout out to my team. Good um, job guys. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're definitely growing now. Um, we're, we're with KW. It's more of, you know, any type of leases, um, sales, uh, a lot, anything that's on the market, um, because, you know, commercials done either on and off market other than residential, because a lot of the commercial deals, which are done off market really aren't, um, you know, really are the bigger deals. If something's on market for commercial, it's going to be a tough deal, mm -hmm. but you know, we, we have the tools and systems in place to be able to tackle that. Um, you know, cause really there isn't like we were talking about previously, there isn't a commercial MLS, designated MLS, right. you know, you have CoStar, which is the main leader in the space. Um, but that's very expensive. It's about $1,200 a month. Right. And it's a year commitment. So you're locking yourself in to a year commitment, spending that money, um, you know, to be able to have access to all those deals. Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of people, um, you know, I was going through the MLS actually yesterday and I was looking at all the expired deals. So in the last rolling 12 months in the last year, there was 800 expired commercial deals. Okay. Um, and I went through them and all the agents were mostly all residential agents. Yeah. And it's tough, you know, it's no not the, not there, the there area of expertise. There sure. wasn't the correct marketing. Yeah. There wasn't even correct pictures. You know, a lot of residential agents see a high price point, you know, three, four, five, one, two, three, any million dollar type of price point, And their, their eyes light up and they're like, oh, you know, this, I want a $50,000 commission. Right. Well, great. Well, you don't have the tools to be able to sell that correctly or even know how to market it. Mm -hmm. You know, I went through it and I didn't even see any rent rolls. I didn't see any T12s, no expenses, no nothing 
for an investor to look at it and, and actually break down the deal and, you know, correctly do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's what I'm trying to go around helping out residential agents and give them expertise and, you know, be their shoulder to lean on that, hey, you know, you have a deal, you have a client, let me help you get this sold for them. Sure. Now, you mentioned on market and off market. If it's on CoStar, does that, does that make it on market? That makes it all, yeah, it's on so, market. But it's just like if you, if the bigger deals are off market deals, man, you really have to be tied into what's going on because you just have to know. You have to know. Yeah. And you have to get updates. And there's, I can't tell you, I mean, I look every single, I would say about two weeks, I look and see what deals I see recently sold. Mm. Um, whether, you know, anything off market recently sold that, that came up on the public record. And from there, I'll be able to determine exactly where the, you know, the market's at. Hey, I know this just sold at this price point. Okay. Well, that's what that's where we're at as far as price per door goes or price per square foot goes right um you know and uh most of the time like i said if it's you know if i get a deal you know i'm going to go to my sphere of people first right. um and try to get the deal done because those are my you know my top clients um you know from there i'll go to my my second and third tier and then you know if any of the people i know that i can't pick up the phone and call that are interested in that deal at that point bang all right let's shoot for a listing um right. you know we'll list the property and if it gets listed at that point, um, you know, and then we're casting in that as far as possible to try to, uh, you know, get these things, get these things sold. Why wouldn't it move? Is it because it doesn't have the right cap rate or it's, yeah, it's overpriced? Okay. Um, okay. You know, again, most sellers really are just wanting more than what the property is actually worth. Right. You know, I, I spoke to a guy yesterday. Um, he tried selling a property for uh, 3.5 million. I spoke to him. I called him up. I said, hey, you know, I, I might have somebody interested in this. Are you still interested in selling? And his words were to me, yeah, I want four or five for it. Well, you just told me, I said, <laughs> I'm looking here. It didn't sell at three, five. Why do you want four or five? Right. He's like, oh, you know, I, you know, I think it's worth more than that. Okay. Right. Well, you had it listed for six months and it didn't sell for three, five. Right. So I guess, uh, you know, but. I guess you can hold on to it. Yeah. All right. It's kind of similar to residential. Now, have you seen the appreciation in commercial to the same level we've seen in residential? Yeah. So. To me, I love multifamily. That's my favorite asset class. Okay. Um, and that's because, listen, no matter what's happening in the economy, no matter what's happening with the interest rates, the mortgage rates, whatever is happening, someone always needs a place to stay as far as an apartment goes. And it's very clear cut to me. And, you know, if you look at the numbers that over the last two years, all apartment rates have gone up. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all, yeah. uh, you know, the rent index is at its highest level since 1986. Yeah. And, and for those familiar in New Jersey, um, Jersey city is the largest increase in the country as far as rent increased. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and it's very interesting because again, if you're, that's, it's really a way to beat inflation is to have a, you know, have a multifamily. Yeah. And, and I like that specifically better than, you know, owning single family homes because with single family, right, you have, say you have tanks, say, say the two, uh, say you got an a, a property, which is a 10 unit building, mm-hmm. an apartment under one roof. Then you have 10 single family homes on the 10 single family homes. You have 10 roofs, yeah. 10 hot water heaters, 10 HVA yeah. systems. You know, you have everything yeah. individual, you have 10 individual tenants, you know, whereas the returns aren't the same. Yeah. If you have one apartment building, you're going to have, you know, you need, say you need five of those people, four of those people to, to be making their rent payments yeah. to, to, to break even, to break even. You have a higher threshold for vacancy rate and exactly. everything like that. Yeah. So a question for you on the, on the multifamily Go and, ahead. and property management's a lot easier. Yeah. I can imagine you, know, you could have a super yeah. in there and, and 
you know, that's it. You know, give somebody a break on their rent and have them, you know, run it, take care of the trash, do all that stuff. Whether it be single-family homes, it's more of a uh, pain in the butt to manage. So when you look at the multifamily units, are you looking at anything more than four units for commercial? Because I know you can do residential one to four units. Or can you put a three-unit as a commercial? Yeah, so so one to four is residential, right? As a residential agent, you can go and write the contract up from one to four. Anything five and over, you need an attorney to write the contract on. Um, that's just That's just how it is. Now, me personally, the way I view that, is um you know i've been involved in deals for and under and it's hard it's not the same type of valuation for loans right Right. so it's basing anything for and under is in a residential category so it's basing on um actual um the rent roll doesn't matter as much yeah Yeah, it's it's more it's a whole different market it's more comps and uh it's not going to align with when you're underwriting the deal it's not going to be the true arv the after repair value as to what if it was just based on uh, numerics right yeah, it's, a, it's certainly a different space on it. You can't kind of squeeze a three-family into a commercial loan. It's just by definition residential in the one to four units. Yeah. So what are the different levels of commercial real estate? So you have, um, you know, just casting the net pretty wide, you have, you know, industrial warehouse space. Um, then you have multifamily. Okay. You have retail space, which is anything like... Uh, you know, you can go in there and purchase goods. Anything storefront. Yeah, any type of okay. storefront is a real ta- a retail space, um, which you know we were talking previously, which is the uh, most common triple net leases. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna have you define that in a minute, but go ahead. Absolutely. <laughs> and then and then we have office space. Yeah. Um, which you know we talked about warehouse being on the incline. Uh, office space has been on the decline, obviously, um, since COVID. Right. Um, I would say it's actually trending up a little bit from where it was, obviously, because everybody was working from home. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so then you have like your office space, you have your development, your land. Now, do you find, so would re- thanks for clarifying that. I know there's probably, you could go on and on Absolutely, for probably 20 yeah. minutes about yeah. that. So from a risk return standpoint, so I look at multifamily, I'm going to say residentials because people live there, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a 10 unit. Mm-hmm. Seems like you get good return with that and still kind of limited risk. Right. Because to your point before, you can have a certain amount of vacancy rate and it's still profitable. Absolutely. When you start getting into storefront or retail, it seems like there'd be a higher risk on that. And that there may also be a higher return. Could you just talk about it? Maybe I'm wrong. That's just my interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah, retail strip centers, um, that kind of thing is a higher return than multifamily. Right. And office is higher return than both of those. Um, but it's it's harder and it's all yeah. it's all into perspective and you know, in the in the same category as to what it is, what the actuals are. Okay. Um now specifically a retail triple net lease. You know, I was underwriting a deal this morning where it was between four and a half and a five and a half cap throughout the whole portfolio. Okay. Um, so now those are triple net leases, Walgreens, Dwayne Reed's, Rite Aid's, those kind of things. Mm. Um, nationwide, there's a portfolio of 10 of them. Um, the owner wants about 42 million for it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a very, very good deal. Um, the, the idea of a triple net lease that a lot of people, a lot of my clients want that now, and that's because it's a safer it's a safer investment, um, and it's essentially you know recession proof when you have a you know a, a very qualified anchor tenant that's yeah. there. Um, you know, usually you know uh, Walgreens isn't you know pretty safe to say they're not going out of business compared to say a mom and pop sure. uh, you know convenience store. Explain to everyone what triple net means. Okay, so a triple net lease is a lease that the uh, tenant pays 
everything, right? So they're paying the taxes, whatever the taxes are, it's it's portioned and added into their lease. The insurance is added into their lease. So the really the landlord, the owner of the property is paying uh, nothing. All the income that's coming in is simply just all net operating income. And typically when you see those leases, what are the terms or the duration of those leases? So usually they're longer leases, yeah. right? So you have, um, I underwrote a deal earlier this week, uh, Chick-fil-A had a 40-year lease. A forty-year wow. lease on the property. We were chatting about that on Tuesday, right? Yeah. Forty years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So again, you know, Chick Fil A. As if anyone that's driven by a Chick Fil A <laughs> during dinner time knows, uh, they'll probably be around in forty. I mean, years. listen, their chicken nuggets are really good. You can't. <laughs> you can't beat yeah, their chicken nuggets. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, the Polynesian sauces. Uh, <laughs> they're nice golden brown. I don't know what they. Are. They're fantastic though. So now I would think too, the longer that you have that lease for, the less the monthly cost. But yeah. there's also probably a curve on it, right? It's not like you're locking into a 40-year lease paying the same dollar amount forever. No, no. So the way it usually works, right? So say the first five years usually be the same on a, on a long term like that, right? Yeah. But after that or, you know, how, again, the thing with commercial, everything's negotiable. Okay. Everything's negotiable, whether it be from your commission, how you're getting paid it, um, if, you're, if you're doing the deal, to you know, writing the terms of the contract options. That's a big thing, right? So you can do, um, you know, a 10 year lease with four or five year options or, you know, two 10 year options, whatever it may be. Mm. So that at that term you could say, okay, um, yeah, I'm interested in redoing, re renewing the lease, re, re, you know, going forward again, or, you know, taking a step back and, you know, seeing where you're at with your business and then, you know, potentially, changing locations. You know, you bring up a great point with that. So from a residential standpoint, I mean, there's just, there's rules, right? There's RESPA rules. There's certain, you got to kind of fit into the box. I mean, there's a lot of different programs, but there's still a box with commercial. Well, everything's negotiable to your point on it. And it really kind of emphasizes why it's absolutely critical that you're working with a commercial real estate expert like yourself. If you're working with an attorney, they have to know commercial. Very important. Because if you haven't done it before, you like don't even know, right? You don't know what's good. You don't know what's bad. You it's know, very it, important. A lot of people come to me and, and, you know, I try to, listen, I'm very, like you said, I'm, I'm a very nice guy. I'm very genuine. I love helping people. That's, that's honestly like a big, a big part of my why. I love helping people out. Yeah, it's and noticeable. It's, it's, it's part of my downfall in a sense when I, when I started that, you know, people would come to me with referrals and business and they would say, hey, Joe, you know, you know, can you teach me how to do this? Can you help me with this deal? And, and I was doing it. The amount of time that I was putting into helping these people, it, it, the return wasn't there. Right. Um, and then it kind of just, I had to come to a, a realization with, all right, listen, it has to be a referral moving forward. You know, I can't do, you know, these 50-50 splits because it's just too much time that's that's being, you know, given with, you know, the resources that I have, right? So I have probably $10,000 a month in expenses that I pay right? Um, with, you know, employees, all the systems and, and programs and everything I use in the data, database and in a way that, you know, when people reach out to me about referrals, you know, I try to say, listen, like I've, I have a lot on the line here as far as, you know, financial goes and the, the tools and the systems I have to use to be able to, you know, help and execute these deals. You know, the reason why I, I can't do the 50 50 is because it's just not a smart business decision. I can't, you know, put that effort into it when it's, you know, not going to line up with what yeah. it is. No, it makes sense. You have hard costs every month. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, I guess it's probably, and also what's the average size of a commercial deal that you say? So, you know, it ranges anywhere, you know, if you're talking leases, that's a whole nother ball game, but you know, you're ranging say from 500,000, 500,000 up right. is what you're doing, but it's all relevant. It's all the same thing. I mean, it's, it's, you know, once you get past the idea of the price point of what it is, 
a deal's a deal. You know, right. it doesn't matter. I never, a big thing I always say to myself is I never step over dollars to pick up pennies. Right. I treat every deal the same. I try to help everybody out the, the same way I can, whether if it's a $100,000, you know, banquet hall that I'm selling or if it's, you know, a $10 million property I'm selling. So when you look at the commercial real estate end of it, and then say there's a business that's operating in there that someone wanted to acquire as well. Is that something that could be worked out through the commercial end? Yeah, so I've sold a bunch of businesses before and I'm selling a handful of them now. That's the biggest skew that, I've, that I could honestly say, even more than residential, an emotional attachment to something that anyone's uh, ever have, right? So I would say commercial property is less of an emotional attachment than a residential property, right? You make memories in a house, you raise your kids in a house, you grow up in a house, whatever it may be, right? So you have a strong emotional attachment. So if I come to you and I give you a... Uh, a market analysis and say your property's worth 400,000. Oh no, you know, I, I think it's worth six. Right. Because you have that emotional attachment to it. A commercial numbers make sense. The deal makes sense, period. Right. I've sold deals that I've never even gone to or seen or not even in the same state just yep. because of that alone. Now, when you go into a business, you know, and I, I've, I've grown a business before I got into real estate in the, res, in the restaurant business where I've spent a hundred hours a week working, you know, nights, weekends, you know, on the floor scrubbing the tile, you know, I understand, I get where people are coming from. So they can go and say, you know, I think my business is worth 300,000 when the numbers suggest that it's only worth a hundred. Right. And having that conversation is not an easy conversation to have with somebody. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, I kind of have to go and, and work with them and say, Hey, listen, I understand where you're coming from. This is the actuals. Like I, I never, whenever I'm giving somebody, you know, a breakdown of what something's worth, I, put all the information that I have that I would make my judgment on and I lay it out in front of them and I say, hey, this is this, this is this, this is this, this is what the market is. Let's, let's talk and let's go over a plan as to what you think from seeing all this data, what you think the property should be worth. Yeah. You could see the emotional attachment there because you've just spent, because you, you live in your house, but if, you're, if you own your own business, you're spending 12, 15 hours a day with that business, it's less time than you spend with anything your else family, in your life, yeah. your family, your house, everything like yeah, that. You certainly see that. Yeah. You're giving everything to that. And then for it to go and just be, you know, wiped away from COVID or, you know, wiped away for, yeah. for whatever reason, it, it sucks, man. It sucks. Yeah. And it, it's, and I love to be able to help people out as much as possible. And I'll, you know, that's, that's, you want, you want me to take a cut on my commission? That's, you know, that's one thing I'll always try to help people out yeah. with because it's, you know, you, you spend 10, 20, 30 years onto, you know, busting your butt trying to build something. And then, you know, for whatever reason, it's not working out. What do you do? What do yeah. you do? You have to still support your family. You still, you know, you're, you're, it's not like it's a lack of effort. Right. You know, you're doing everything you can to have success. It's just, you know, sometimes the resources aren't there. Sometimes, sometimes you know, the market just doesn't support it, right? The economy is not supporting it. And to be able to go and try to, you know, tell somebody, hey, you know, I know you think the property is worth 150 grand, but it's worth 70. Right. And then I have to go and tell people that are inquiring to me, you know, what are you, a jerk trying to sell this for? No, no, right. you have to understand the situation as to, you know. The numbers are the numbers, right? No matter how much you care or how much empathy you have, the numbers are still the yeah. numbers. And then I'm a punching bag to all the buyers that are coming in saying, you know, this isn't worth this. So question for you on the financials with it. So what's a quick down and dirty on that. What's it worth relative to the revenue? So we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll pull up, um, you know, the last 12 months of T12 mm -hmm. at all the gross income. Now a lot with restaurants, you know, how much are they actually showing versus what's real? 
So there's ways that you can go around that. And again, with experience, I know that, you know, you look at the inventory and, you know, other types of ways to, to figure out exactly what the, you know, what's truly doing to give an idea, but anybody in the business knows how it works. Right. Um, but and then from there, so you break that down. That's one thing. So your income is there. Then, um, you know, you look at like the lease that you have with the, the landlord, if it's, you know, a, a favorable lease to the tenant, whatever it may be, how much longer it is on there, you know, anyone coming in is going to want to make sure that they're secure in the location. So that going forward that, you know, they, you know, they have some room to operate or sure. maybe they'll renegotiate at least whatever that is. Um, so I think that's a very you know important point. Um, next is also, okay, what else is included in the business? Is the staff included? Is the chef included? A big thing with restaurants is chefs. Um, and what inventory is included? Right. Um, as far as, you know, what's in the kitchen, you know, what's, you know, what tables, chairs, yeah. all that stuff. Wow. That's uh you got to go really deep. You got to go really deep and understand what the, you know, how do you even put values on that? Right. You got to yeah. know, yeah. you know, that you have to know how to do it. And then also, you know, another level to it is, you know, what's the current clientele? What's the business looking like? You know, are, is people, are people buying the business with the, you know, turnkey, if they open up tomorrow, they're going to be generating income? Mm -hmm. Or are they going to have to go and start putting money into marketing and, and really trying to build it back up, you know, to the point where, you know, it's, it's, it's you have to put a, a numeric value on it. Do they put a lot on what the gross revenue is? Because a restaurant's a great example. So say just to keep the numbers simple, the gross revenue is 10000 a month, mm -hmm. right? And we know that their hard expenses are 5000 a month. Mm -hmm. Right. So we know they're making five thousand a month. You know, what, how do you value that right after you figured out all the assets and everything like that? Yeah. So I would say just simply just based on your net, um, it's about three and a half times is what you kind of value the business at. OK. Um, again, then you have to also include, you know, the level of business and the where it's going and what's included and, you know, the the reputation also. Sure. I think that's a big one. That's as well. so crazy. Right. Yeah. Like, how do you put a value on that? And that's where you got to know the local market yeah. as well. You have to, yeah. And then look at, again, then look at things that sold previously and, you know, and, right. and, and, and really where it is and what, you know, specifically is happening in that immediate area. I'm big with, you know, I'm, I'm no smarter than, than uh, Dunkin' Donuts or any of those big, you know, big companies. So I follow the money. So if right. you see that there's new construction coming up with, you know, whatever the, you know, the, uh, the tenant may be or, I'm going to follow that. I'm right. going to say, okay, if they're, if they're saying it's okay to put this here, I, I'm sure that. You know, That's a great point. They yeah. know they, yeah. they're, they're millions and millions of dollars of research goes exactly. into that yeah. where they're putting a McDonald's. Exactly. Right? So, yeah. So I, I follow the money and you know, I always, it's usually a, uh, a great answer to questions whenever clients say, Hey, do you think this is a good area? I say, listen, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no, uh, market specialist more than, uh, say a Walgreens, you know, right. has, they have a whole uh, real estate department that can, you know, specifically, you know, check the exact traffic counts and, you sure. know, exactly the trend and, and the economics, which I do have access to that too. And whenever I have clients, I send out that whole market study report. Mm -hmm. um, but again, there, I'm going to trust them. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So Joe, you're, uh, you know, everyone that's been listening to this, if we've gotten to this point, Joe, Joe's clearly an expert in this area. If someone had any questions for you, or people were interested in purchasing commercial real estate, what's the best way to reach out to you? I'll give you my direct cell phone is 732-546-7501. Um, you call me, that will go right to my cell phone. Um, or you could email me at uh, joseph, J-O-S-E-P-H, period, F as in Frank, period, Spinella, my last name, S-P-I-N-E-L-L-A, at gmail.com.
Well, Joe, I certainly appreciate you spending the time here with us today. Everyone, Joe Spinella with Commercial Real Estate, Greg Wareham. We are signing off. I appreciate everyone taking the time to listen to us today, and we look forward to catching up with you next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process, hosted by Greg Wareham, produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavise at The Social Rift, and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in, and we look forward to catching up with you next week.